I want to thank all my sponsors. You know, we've got Berkeley Gold. They're a local CBD company. It's all organic. It's all clean. There's no BS fillers. You know, it's um, their product from lip balm to tinctures to um, muscle relief to uh, dog chews and solvable tablets. They've got it all. And if you put in Circle 15 at checkout at berkeleygold.com, you'll get 15% off. And then online great books. And they'll take you through, they're like a personal trainer for great literature. And they send out a book and they send you out homework and they walk you through it. And there's a big forum and a community where you can talk about the things. And then you can work through all these great books. And if you sign up for online great books uh, forward slash circle, I believe you get 25% off the first three months. Also, please check out our buddy Buster Frierson's company, Range Hand Meats. Um... They've got all kinds of amazing cuts at Buster Frierson and Instagram, and then check out Range Hand, Range Hand Meats and see if that's something you might be into. And then also check out my wife's new um, online coaching program, and she helps with um, you know eating better, living better, moving better. Um, just really like if you've got, maybe you've got a 16 year old daughter that, um, kind of has some body image issues and, and she doesn't know how to eat and she doesn't know how to step into the strength of her beauty. And like, and what I mean by that is she thinks that she has to be super skinny and she doesn't like that. She's got curves or big legs or strong legs or, you know, broad shoulders or that she's taller than everybody else or whatever it might be. Or, or maybe, you know, you just raised three kids and they're out of the house and now you just don't even know where the hell to start because there's so much to see and there's so many different people on Instagram. And, you know, um, I can speak from experience that my wife, um, she kind of has a no bullshit way of just like telling you to take it easy. Just do these things, try them, don't try them, but she can provide a, a kind of a little program for you to look at and it's little baby steps, little things. You're not going to get something from her and it's like, okay, you got to stop eating everything. You only eat this. You need to run 20 miles a week and, and don't you dare touch a Dr. Pepper. You know, it's, it's not going to be like that. So if you want somebody that understands what the struggle is of battling weight and, um, you know, not genetically being super thin and lean and, and, um, who's always been, muscular and strong and, and felt insecure about it, but has finally come to a place to where she loves and admires her body. I think she's doing amazing things. I think uh, her approach to it is unique and it's sincere. Check her out at martyannyoung.com. That's M-A-R-T-Y-A-N-N-Y-O-U-N-G dot C-O-M. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Circle of Dads, the space for sharing stories about the struggles and triumphs of fatherhood and learning to become better men. The Circle of Dads, everybody. I'm Ryan and I'm your host. And today I am joined by... Uh, John Finch. John is a, uh, a father, a husband, um, an author, a podcast host, and a filmmaker. 
<laughs> well, I don't know how well I do any of those things well, but yeah, I, I've dabbled in a little bit of everything. <laughs> okay. Your film, um, Forgiving Your Absent Father, it really spoke to me because that's something that I struggle with, is forgiving my dad. I for, I, <clears throat> I've, I'm, I've forgiven him. I'm not angry at him anymore. Now I'm just kind of in that area of, I'm just disappointed that, you know, he, he wasn't around, he, he doesn't know his grandkids and he doesn't, he doesn't know how exciting the last 15 years of my life have been, you know, and every once in a while I'll find myself thinking, you know, I really could have used your help this last decade. Um, but I was blessed to have so many wonderful men put into my life and in my path that guided me and, um, you know, so I, I, I really didn't miss out. It's really just him that's missing out. So I guess now I'm kind of just in that area of disappointment and like, ah, dude, that sucks. Cause I know that he's not a mentally well person. And so, you know, I have empathy for him. That doesn't mean I want to hang out with him and go, you know, do father son things. It just kind of means that I'm like, well, I guess that's how it is. Yeah, you know what, dude? And the thing about it is what you're explaining is not unusual. You know, I tell everybody, you're not alone. And there's there's millions of men, grown men out there that have a very similar experience are kind of in that state of, wow, what the heck do I do? I'm kind of frustrated with this guy. He doesn't want to be involved or this, that, or the other. And, and you know, the forgiveness piece that is so crucial and it wasn't my life. I was just a ticked off dude for 30 years. And now if, from the outside, I looked like a nice, cool, gentle, kind guy. <laughs> but on the inside, I was just a volcano, right? And that anger was seeping out in various aspects of my life, whether it was my short attention span with my kids or my wife or whatever, that anger was coming out in me in different ways. And that's the biggest thing, really. It's it's really forgiving your father for you, not for him. Because in a lot of cases, dads don't even know they need to be forgiven. I'll give you a perfect story. We interviewed Larry North, who's a fitness uh, guru, if you will. He owns a bunch of studios here in Dallas. And he tells this great story. That's a powerful story in the film. But he says, you know, his dad was a gambler, gambling addict, and in and out of his life, most of his life. And he would have these conversations, even as a young man with him, and his, his dad acted like he didn't do anything to him, that he didn't abandon him, that he was around all the time when he wasn't. You know, it's just, it was this weird thing. And he would he said, you know, he called me, Larry, my boy, what's good? You know, he would act like he had never left when he had left so many different times. And so his dad came down with cancer and he was put in a, in a VA hospital here in Dallas. And Larry knew the nurse and he just said, hey, keep me, you know, in tune with what's going on. And he said, one day he gets a call. And sure enough, the nurse says, hey, you need to get down here because your dad's probably not going to make it much longer. So he says he drops everything, rushes down to the hospital, says he busts in the room. And it was just his dad laying there. And his dad was passed out, non-responsive. But he just grabbed his dad's hand and said everything he's ever wanted to say. And he forgave him and just all that stuff. He said he walked out of the room. The nurse approached him and she said, you know, with tears running down her eyes, she said, you know, Mr. North, I didn't want to bother you and interrupt you while you were in there, but he passed away about an hour earlier. And Larry turned to her and said, you know what? 
I didn't do that for him. I did that for me. And, and he said, you know, it's the best thing I've ever done. And so that's really the, the power of forgiveness in, and the strength of what it can do, not only to relieve the burden off all sh- our shoulders, um, but really that anger impacts us and everyone around us, and especially our families in ways, even when we don't think it is, and we don't think we have an issue because of the unforgiveness or whatever, it still impacts us tremendously. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's something we've, we've got to definitely take a look at for many of us personally. Well, you know, and, and like I've always been taught that anger Anger is a very primitive, natural default response. And so many other things can show up and there you, you think they're anger or your body just assumes you react like it's anger. And that could be sadness, shame, embarrassment, you know, whatever it might be, abandonment or whatever would translate into that. And then we just naturally, or at least that's what it was for me, it would turn into anger. And I was walking around angry and mad all the time, just like you said. It's yeah. So, uh, dude, and that's it. So, you know, I've got a counselor friend of mine, and we've done some video sessions together on for my YouTube channel. And there, and he talks about, you know, there's usually two or three things underlying the anger. Anger's not the issue. There's something underlying it, right? It's it's fear that I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a clue what I'm doing as a man or a husband or a father, right? Or the anxiety or the man, do I have what it takes? You know, because I never got that from my father. There's so many different ways that it plays out. Unworthiness, shame, guilt. I mean, you name it. So many different ways, but all of it in ma- is masked with anger. And so we learned to use anger as a tool, as a hammer, mm-hmm. and everything begins to look like a nail, mm-hmm. right? So because we don't know how to do this, that, or the other, be a man, husband, father, whatever, we respond in anger. That's just kind of our default, right? And so that's, and here's the reality. I meet a lot of men. Over the last 10 years, I've met hundreds of men, and a lot of them are angry. Can't even tell you why. Yeah, it's not like they just smash their toe. You know, it's, it's not tangible like that. They're, it's just an underlying unease, irritable, restless, and discontent, just, just not feeling. It's like, for me, it's this giant hole we have through us and that, that father size hole and the winds just always blowing through it. And it hurts like hell. You know, we just don't realize it's there. We try to stuff it with all kinds of other things to fill that hole. And and then you end up just like you said, just projecting that on everybody else. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I struggled with early on, dude, was, uh, even as a young husband and father. So there would be things that would happen around my house, like my toilet flapper would need to be repaired. And the simple fact that I didn't know how to do it would piss me off. (laughs) You know, it was like this constant reminder of all these things I was inadequate about and didn't know how to do. And it would remind me of my old man and the fact that he wasn't there. And so not only would I get mad that I didn't know it and I should, but then I'd get mad at my dad because he abandoned me. He left me, you know, how could you do that? And so there was this, you know, this really this transformation of what God did in my life. I, I used to refer to my dad as a coward and I never talked about him. And once we released the film, you know, all these people I grew up with were like, man, I had no idea. 
because I didn't talk about it very much. I was ashamed, right? I felt like for many, many years, I was that young man who was walking around. Everybody was pointing at him going, hey, that's the, that's the young man whose dad killed himself, right? So there was all this shame and guilt and everything else associated with it. The catalyst for me and the key to me finding forgiveness for my dad was this, understanding that my dad could not give what he did not have. So understanding more of his story and knowing that his mom was married five times, didn't have a stable father figure, was dropped off in the middle of New Orleans at the age of 16 to live on his own. I mean, dude, he never had a chance, right? So that journey of asking my mom questions about my dad, asking my uncle questions about my dad, all this stuff, kind of everything came together and and God showed me forgiveness. And, And now I think about my old man. Man, it's nothing but compassion and love because uh, of this generational thing and him just not knowing how to be a dad. Yeah, and you know, even in that, I mean, that might have been, and I think you may have mentioned this in the movie or alluded to it, like that was the best decision he could come up with because he was was about to go back to prison, wasn't he? And then he was just like, I'm not doing it. It's better this way, better for everybody. Yeah, you know, there was a, there was a, a shot or there was a time when we were shooting the trailer and uh, I've told this story a handful of times and the actor that played my dad brought a couple of different shirts and the shirt he brought one of them was like boom I was like that's the kind of shirt my old man used to wear and it had you know cigarette burns he smoked cigarettes so he had cigarette ash ash you know holes all in it and so as we're standing at the back of the car he uh he asked me the question I'd never been asked before. He said, John, what do you think your dad, I'm trying to get into character. What do you think your dad was, was thinking at that moment? And dude, that hit me like a, like two ton brick. I mean, it was like, I'd never thought about that. And so I don't even know what I said to him, but I remember saying it. And then I, I said, excuse myself and went up over the hill and sat in my pickup got in my pickup truck and just cried, dude, because it the power of that question of understanding mental health and depression and everything it was that he was going through and this facing going back to jail and just, just this perfect storm of, of, you know, hopelessness, hopelessness. Yeah. It, it just hit me in a way where I just thought, wow, you know, my old man had to be in an incredibly dark place because just think about it. You know, it's he's literally fixing to pull the trigger and end his life. I mean, you know, who does that, right? How do you build yourself up to that moment? Well, it, it just it made me realize he had to be in an incredibly dark place to do that. And in his mind, I mean, we've got there's a copy of the suicide letter in the book. Um, and in his mind, he literally was thinking he was doing the best best he could best thing that he could for us my brothers and my mom and that's such a heartbreaking thought you know for someone like you said to get to that point of um no turning back you know just that dark dark spot and and i've been in that spot more times than i care to count in my life thank you uh, thankfully i never made that ultimate choice um because there was always some bleak light somewhere along the distance, you know, some lighthouse of something. I knew there was going to be something better coming along. Um, you know, uh, 
when you were talking about that, um, and I'll jump back here, but when you were talking about uh, the forgiveness and how powerful it is and how we don't want to do that, you know, and, and, and the flapper on the toilet, you're pissed off because you didn't, you know, at your dad because you didn't know that. It kind of goes back into that same thing, like, or were you just embarrassed that you didn't know it? You know, I mean, it's like, it's such a simple thing. It's like, as a man, I should know how to do this. Why the hell do I, oh, it's my dad. You know, it's my dad's fault. And, and I've carried around a crutch like that for a while, but it was explained to me, like people would say, just drop the rock, man. You're carrying around this big rock. And usually men, it's so much easier to carry that rock and be angry than it is to just drop it and figure out what it, why am I hanging on to the anger so much? Cause if you forgive somebody, that means you're taking, you're no longer placing the blame on that person or, or, or not actively, you know, it, it's like you're, you're accepting that they were doing the best they could do and you were no longer going to allow it to control you. It doesn't affect you. Any, or I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't control your thoughts and feelings anymore. And the forgiveness for me, it was always like, I'm letting them off the hook. You know, they don't, they're, they don't have to be accountable anymore to this. And it's like, it's such an odd thing that we'll, we'll so willingly do that as men. Well, I can't say willingly because a lot of us don't even realize we're doing it. I didn't know I was doing it until I had people that were professionals point that out over and over and over again until it got so that rock got so uncomfortable and so heavy that I had no choice because it was just bringing me down further and further. Um, and that makes me, that makes me how, if you don't mind me asking, how old was your dad when he did that? So my dad was 42 and, and a strange thing is literally up until I hit the age of 42, I had this weird thing that like somehow I was going to die. Like it was a curse. I was age 42. Yeah. It was like this curse. Right. I, I think for so many men, especially men, it's a pride issue. And you kind of mentioned it. It's man, I'm not gonna let the old man off the hook. Uh, you know, I got he's gonna pay, right? I remember and, and this happens in a lot of very successful men. If you look at a lot of the really successful CEOs and I mean, you know, some we're talking multimillionaires, billionaires, whatever, a lot of them didn't have fathers. And so what they're trying to do is prove to a father that wasn't there that they could be successful and that their old man screwed up by leaving. Mm-hmm. So they will pour themselves into work, pour themselves. I mean, they'll be incredibly successful at work. Their home life as a father and a dad may be a nightmare, but they'll be incredibly successful at work. And, and it's this underlying psychology, if you will, because I had it. It was, man, I'm going to prove to my dad who's been dead for many years, which doesn't seem right. Right. <laughs> and I felt like I needed to prove it to a world that didn't even know it needed proof that I could I could make it on my own and I could be successful or what in my eyes I thought was successful, right? So it's a pride thing for many of us. We don't want to let it go uh, because we're guys and we struggle with pride. Uh, the other thing too is victim mentality. So many people love living as a victim. And in today's society, dude, it's stinking everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody likes to blame everyone else and not take responsibility for their own actions. So I loved living as a victim. If I could live in that victim mentality, I didn't have to stop drinking. I was, I was an alcoholic covering my wound that I was medicating it with alcohol. And if I didn't really have to face the real stuff, the real issue, then I could continue to drink and justify my behavior any way I want. 
So living in the victim mentality, man, I loved it. It sure. was the excuse. It was the justification for everything I did, no matter how stupid or crazy it was. So the longer I could live in it, not have to face the real issue and not have to get vulnerable and real and authentic and honest about my stuff, which most of us don't want to do, you know, because it's emotional and we don't want to be emotional because it somehow makes us think we're less of a man. There's all that stuff that's kind of packed into it, right? But if we can avoid really dealing with the real issue, then we can continue life as, as normal and, and continue to be, I mean, think we're happy, but ultimately be miserable. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, and it's like, if you're the victim, no more work is required. You, I mean, you just said that like, it's, it's nope. It's poor little me, and then everybody gets to feel sorry for me, and I get to do anything I want and act any way I choose, and there's no accountability. And then you can drink and, and just, I mean, everything you just said, you, you can mask all of these or use all of these things to mask your your fear of intimacy, your your fear of abandonment, you know, your inability to be vulnerable with another human being. Um, your failed relationships, your inability to connect with other humans. And, and you said it, I mean, men don't like doing that, especially more alpha types, more hard charging types. We were told as we were kids, you know, don't cry. Don't be a girl. You don't have anything to be sad for. Why are you crying? What's wrong with you? You're not hurt. And, and you can get by with that for a little while, but eventually, you know, maybe on your third or fourth marriage, it's like, I think there might be a common denominator here. I might want to start working on myself and guys don't like doing that. Well, and dude, you hit it. And it's an interesting story. One of the guys we interviewed for the film was Gordon Dalby. Who's an author who has been around forever. And I think at the time I interviewed him, which we're talking seven, eight years ago, he was like 67. And he shares this great story with me in reference to what you just mentioned. He says, you know, at a very young age, we teach our young men, our five and six-year-old boys, when they fall down the soccer field or baseball field, football field, whatever, they get hurt, suck it up, man up, you're okay, don't cry. You don't need to cry, you're fine, blah, 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 right? So we're teaching young guys, young boys, at a very young age not to be real about their emotions, and, and young men are taught that their whole lives. Yeah. And so then they get to be a grown man, and it's like, well, hold on a second. I can't be real with my wife. I can't communicate all my struggles and weaknesses and issues with anybody else. Are you kidding me? I've been taught all my life not to be real about my emotions, that real men don't cry, which is the biggest lie out there, right, myth. But it's all these things that society says is, is normal, if you will. And that we've bought into those lies. And so that's one of the biggest issues. That's why, you know, the divorce rate is 50, whatever percent. Well, you had a bunch of guys walking around pretending, right, to be somebody they're not, not being the real them. And women are going, why can't I get my man to open up? Why can't I get him to communicate with me? Well, he's been taught all his life not to. Yeah. You know, Brene Brown talks a lot about that, about um, how emotions are our, our, uh, our most primitive, like navigation system or gauge of where we're at. And if we're taught at a young age to not trust those, to not trust our feelings. I mean, that's something that's so ingrained in us. If you don't trust them, you don't know how to feel. And then you're constantly frustrated. And it's like this emotional constipation, you know, you just don't. And men, 
I mean, it's such a cliche, but you see these guys there in relationships and they can't, they can't connect with their wife. They can't communicate with them. They speak to them in a way that they would speak to someone at work, another man. And then the wife gets upset and he calls her too sensitive, you know, so he's starting to do that to her and she can't trust her feelings. And, and that's just that constant frustration of they cannot communicate. You're talking two different, completely different languages. And then it starts to drift. And if, and if, if women can't connect with us emotionally, I'm not a woman, but from what I've been told, they don't want to connect with us physically. And men are pretty, uh, focused on the physical connection. They don't, they're not, we're not as concerned about the emotional connection because we think we're supposed to provide and do these things. And then you sleep with me and I get to feel like a King and, and, and then everything is just awesome in the world. But one that goes away instead of a man thinking, well, I need to figure out why there's a disconnect with my wife. He's, from what I've always seen in the experiences that I've witnessed or the things that I've witnessed, it's, it's always like, well, you know, she won't sleep with me. We don't hardly ever have sex. We don't do this. We don't do that. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse. And then he starts seeing someone else. that's a little more that something new and shiny. And he starts justifying his behaviors. And next thing you know, there goes that marriage. Had they just learned to communicate. Had he just learned to just bear his soul to his woman. It's, and it's sad. Well, another part of that too is, and I've got three daughters and it took me a long time. I'm a bonehead when it comes to a lot of this stuff. So it took me a long time to, to learn this, but uh, you know, the perfect example is when I was first married, uh, my wife, you know, something would happen and I'm that fixer all of a size, you know, we want, we want to be fixers, right? We just want to fix the problem and move on. So my wife would come to me a problem and I'd say, okay, honey, do one, two, three, four, boom. I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm walking away. I solved the problem. I'm the man. You're when welcome. In reality, yeah. Yeah. When in reality, a lot of times she just want me to listen. Women become intimate and bond through listening through talking and us listening, should I say, right? So I've got three daughters and what I've learned with them is just the, the how important listening is. Oh, yeah. They just want me to listen. They don't want me to fix them. They don't want advice. They don't want to lecture. None of that stuff as a father. They just want me to listen. And so because women become intimate and bond through listening, it's important for us men to do our part in that listening um, and that's something that's taken me a long, long time to learn. I wish I would have known that at a much earlier age, and especially younger in my marriage, early on in my marriage, because there's many times that my wife just wants me to listen, you know? And so the anger piece though, just to speak to it, getting back to it is we, as men got to be incredibly careful because of the anger and that generational curse of anger that can be passed down to our kids. Cause here's what's happening. If we lose our temper with our wives or our kids and our kids see this, right? They may go up to the room and if we don't go up there and have a conversation with them about it, they think that's normal behavior. So odds are they're going to turn around and start lashing out back at you or cursing back at you. If you cursed at them, because they think that's normal. 
And so it's such an important piece when I've lost my temper, said something I shouldn't have said, or just done something stupid, right? I'll go up, grab that kiddo, have a one-on-one conversation and say, look, I am so sorry. I'm having a rough day. Just be real. Tell them, man, here, I had a, man, my day was jacked up at work. I, this, that, that, whatever happened. Will you forgive me? I will never do that again. Or I'll, I'll try my best to never do that again, right? It's amazing just asking for forgiveness, the power of that, and how forgiving our kids are. But the most important part of that is helping, helping them understand, one, that we're human, we're imperfect, we're flawed, right? Two, that it's okay to admit when you messed up and ask for forgiveness. And then three, it also, I think, opens the door for them to then come to you when, you've, when they've messed up and ask you for forgiveness. Yeah, um... I think being honest with your kids is, is, is breaks down that barrier to where they can see that you're human and that they can feel safe to come talk to you. And when you said that, all I can think of is something that I, I say often to anybody that'll listen to me, you know, is, and I wish I came up with it, but I'm not that wise is, um, be the type of man you'd want your daughter to marry. And then on the flip side, be the type of husband and man that you would want your son to be. So if they see you act in that way, they're going to think that that's a normal, healthy relationship. And, um, you know, don't be surprised in 10 years when they're in a relationship and their husband's treating them in a way that you're like, why would you, how are you okay with that? Well, they've seen you do it for their whole childhood. You know, you know what, dude? And, and, and I've got a story there. There's one of the guys we interviewed. It reminds me, he was a prison inmate in Houston named Jose. And uh, he tells this story and it sounds extreme to many, but this proves your point. So he said, John, when I was like 10, 11, 12 years old, he said, my mom would send me down the street to drag my dad out of the bar. And he goes, my dad would be down there every night drinking, getting hammered drunk. I'd get him back home, and he said, then I'd sit and watch him beat my mom, verbally and physically abuse his mom. So he said, you know, when I reached the age of 16, which is the age, you know, that I thought I was a man, and a lot of, you know, young men think they're a man, a man, he said, guess what I started doing? He said, I started verbally and physically abusing my mom. Because that's what I thought a real man did, because that's what I saw my dad do. And I saw him do it often. So in his mind, that was his normal. And so understanding as fathers, we're creating our normal. We're creating that normal of what our kids believe life is like. And, you know, it's one of the other guys we interviewed, uh, Pastor Tom Lane over at Gateway Church, he said, you know, John, many times I, I, I counsel young couples for pre-marriage counseling. And he says, I can tell you how many times I've had a couple sitting there and I ask the young man what he does and tell me about his family. He said, well, you know, grew up when I was 10, my mom and dad got divorced, dad moved down the street, and I never really much saw him anymore. And he has to go, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on a second. That's not normal. Let, let me tell you what's normal. So there's like, he has to set that bar, the expectation as a counselor of what's normal, helping that young man understand that, no, your dad moves down the street and you don't see him hardly again. That's not normal. But in this man's mind, the young man's mind, he thinks it's normal. So it just, it goes back to that whole thing of walking in daily awareness of what we're saying and how we're acting towards our wives and our kids and the normal we're creating. Yeah. So let, Tell me, um, 
how did you get to the point to where you finally just decided to do something different? And, um, and then I know you're on a limited, on a tight schedule. So, um, tell me about that and then how that transitioned into the movie and then what you're working on now so people can find you and, you know, be able to learn more about this from you. Yeah. So for me, you know, really, and I tell people this, it was, it was a matter of really the perfect storm. Um, so many different things that happened in my life. And I, I, I believe it was coordinated very much by God because I'm a man of faith and, and he really took me to this place of brokenness. My life was falling apart. My health wasn't good. My marriage was a wreck. I wasn't the best dad. I was a traveling salesman, you know, medicating when I was on the road, pretending to be somebody else. I wasn't, you know, on the, at home. And so I was living this almost like a double life, if you will, had an unlimited expense account, was walking in bars and, you know, buying the, the round of people at the bar, a drink. And it was just, you know, insane. And it just became this one moment where I realized, man, this is going to continue to happen. And I'm either going to be divorced, dead or in jail, or just, this is not going to end well. And God took me to that place of brokenness. And, and I tell people it's a place he had to take me because I was having too much fun running from him. <laughs> right. And there was a story. I was coming back from a trip to Nashville. I would go in there about once a quarter flying to Nashville. And I had a, a customer over there who was also an alcoholic. So it was, it was the perfect, you know, storm. And we met down on the strip about four o'clock that afternoon. And I remember getting back to my hotel about 4 a.m. So we literally had drank for 12 hours straight and get back and i remember thinking i gotta get i gotta get up in a couple hours to hit to the airport so i laid down got up uh and i'm still drunk driving to the airport i'm still you know buzzed and i remember in that car driving to the airport i remember thinking okay lord uh if you'll get me out of this one if you'll help me get to the airport without getting the dwi and without all these things that could potentially happen happening because i'd lose my job and who knows what else if i got a dwi i'll never do this again and you know and that's something i'd said a thousand times before knowing dang well that he got me to the airport and everything i was still going to be drinking and hammered the next time i was out on the road but it was in one of those in that trip that that I just said, you're going to have to slap me upside the face to get my attention because I was having too much fun running. And it literally was about three months later where that's when this, this time happened. And, and it really just, man, I just got to this place of just being so miserable, tired of playing the game, tired of hustling, trying to pretend to be somebody I wasn't. It just got exhausting. And so for me, it was, okay, I got to look at this father wound thing and, and figure it out. I had been introduced to it a couple of years before that, but still tried to suck it up, man up and figure it out on my own. So I finally just said, okay, I'm all in Lord. And, and started going to seeing a counselor and this counselor, you know, called me out of my BS, but yet encouraged me and helped me walk through some doors. I couldn't even say the word dad in counseling sessions because I'd start bawling because yeah. of what that represented in my life. Right. My earthly father, and so he just walked me through this progression for about 12 weeks. And it was in one of those sessions that, that God just impressed upon me, you know, how can you be so anger, angry, resentful, and bitter towards a man who doesn't know how to be a dad. 
And it was literally for me and every man's journey is different. Every, every forgiveness story is different, but it was in that moment for me that I found total forgiveness for my dad. And, and that's what radically changed my life as a man, husband, and father. So as I started sharing my story from that moment on, I'd start talking to people and everybody else had a story. And I was like, Oh man, that's a great story. We got to, we got to get these stories out there. We got to let other men know they're not alone and they're not the only jacked up dudes. Right. Cause that's, I was that guy. I thought everybody else had it figured out except me. Sure. I was the knucklehead and I was all alone and whatever. So as I began to share my story, everybody else had a story. So I thought, man, I would much rather watch a video than read a book. <laughs> I think it's most men. So I was like, all right, let's do this. I'm not a filmmaker, but I'm going to figure it out. So I had a couple of people that I told about it and they said, okay, here's what you need to do. And they just kind of encouraged me and mentored me through the process. And then God opened the door to John Eldridge, uh, best-selling author at Wild at Heart and several others, man. It just came together, but it, it's a, it was a God thing. It's all God. Cause this knucklehead, I, I could screw it up in a hurry and, and I've tried many times, but he keeps kind of correcting my path. So we got the movie. It's it's on uh, for free, 60-minute movie on YouTube. We did get a book deal as a result of the movie, and it's on Amazon or wherever else you can find books. Also called The Father Effect, both the movie and the book. And then uh, we're going to start working on the next project, hopefully sometime this year. If this pandemic will uh, lighten up a little bit, hopefully we'll get started on it soon. And it's going to be called The Father Effect 2, raising godly girls in the ungodly world so it's going to be a father dad story and and how we can help dads navigate that 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 journey and then you have the podcast as well we do we have the podcast We've got a bunch of bunch of videos up on our youtube channel yeah so if if you just search the father effect on pretty much any social media platform or whatever you'll uh, you'll con- be able to connect with me and um you also speak to am i correct if people, yes. if people want to book you for their workshops or seminars or events that they can reach out to you at the father effect and, and book you or talk to you about that process. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah. What I heard was, you know, you just got to that point to where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, you just, you just get, you hit that bottom where you're just emotionally, spiritually, physically, and financially, whatever it is bankrupt. And it's like, I got to do something different. And uh, I'm just really, I'm just really happy and proud for you that you got to that point. Well, dude, I appreciate it. It, it you know, I, I, I've always felt a desire to reach out, and I felt God's going to open the door to some younger generation stuff, maybe college age students, and and an opportunity to tap into that group because I look back on my own life and think, man, maybe if I would have heard a message about this. Uh, you know, in college, maybe it would have taken me a different direction, a different path. It wouldn't, wouldn't have caused so much pain and suffering. Uh, and so I really think, you know, just getting the message out there in general. I mean, even, you know, so many men think it's too late. We interviewed an 84-year-old man. I'll never forget. I'd spoken at a church on a Sunday. Monday morning, he emailed me. So I said, hey, man, can I come over and get in front of a video camera with you? And he said, sure. So he's 84 years old. And he said, John, you know, I was at church yesterday when you were talking. He goes, God just started working on me. And he said, um, you know, I was very angry and mad, upset with my dad. And he said, so last night uh, I asked God to forgive me for being so angry and bitter and resentful. 
because of what happened to my dad. And he said, then I asked my dad to forgive me. And obviously his dad had been gone for many, many years. And this man is 84 years old. And he said, John, for the first time in my life, I went to bed at peace at 84 years old. And it's, it's that message of it's never too late for forgiveness, right? Whether you need to be forgiven as a father and you need to go talk to your son or daughter and ask for forgiveness, or whether it's you need to forgive a father who wasn't there. And so, um, you know, that's essentially the message. And, and I hope men are encouraged by that and that they're willing to do, back to kind of what you said earlier, they're willing to do the hard work. Because here's the reality. It's tough, Man, that, that three months I was going to see in a counselor was probably the toughest three months of my life. But I'd do it a million times again oh, because yeah. of what God showed me in that process. And, you know, I, I heard the quote, and I've shared it so many times, but I love it. We all want a resurrection without a crucifixion, right? We all want healing without the heartache. But it's really in that purification process, that that hard work process that God can show us so much and that, that we can see so much about ourselves. And, and ultimately it's what God showed me on the backside of all this hard, difficult thing, man, it is amazing. And, and, and there's no way I'd be the man I am today. And I'm not perfect by any means. <laughs> I'm still sure. screw up and mess up all the time. But if you'd have told me 12 years ago, that I'd be where I'm at today, I'd say, you're nuts. There ain't no way. You're insane. Uh, but that's, you know, that's that's the amazing power of God's grace and forgiveness. Yeah, I mean, it, it does suck. I mean, there is nothing fun about going through that process um, until you get on the other side of it. And the only way to get to it is to go through it because you have to go through that. And then once you get to the other side and you realize what is waiting for you and how much freedom and peace and self-awareness it's just like you said you can't even you can't even imagine it there's 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 it's such an amazing feeling to be able to know well just having that self-awareness of knowing why you took certain steps or acted a certain way and how you can be different in the future it just changes everything well, and ultimately, dude, I mean, let's, let's, you know, men, we're talking men, it's about legacy, bro. Mm -hmm. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? Do you want to leave a legacy where your kids and grandkids remember you as a pissed off old man or, or always the guy that was angry or just difficult to be around? Or you want to be the loving, engaged, good dude, good grandfather, father that, that, Again, that generational thing, and that's the that's the thing that I always come default to because for me, it's like walking in daily awareness of my impact and what I'm saying and doing. How is this affecting my grandkids, my great-grandkids? You know, what are my kids taking from this? In a positive way, they're going to be able to hang hand down to their kids, and so – it, that that's ultimately what it comes down to for me is man legacy. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? And and hopefully it's a positive one. Well, I'm sure you can definitely be proud of the legacy you're leaving. I mean, you you're you're putting amazing content and energy out there in the world and sharing your message and 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 being a source of inspiration and hope for a lot of people. And man, I just I applaud you for it. And I really, Dude, I, I, you're very kind, brother. I appreciate it. I, again. It's all God, bro, for me. It, it really is. He's he's opened the doors and just 
allowed us to do a lot of cool things. So it's fun. Excellent. I look forward to all what you're doing in the future. And I know you've got to run. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. And um, I'll put all of the information in the show notes so people can find you. And that's it. Absolutely, bro. Appreciate you, man. Keep up the great work, dude. Thanks, buddy. See you. See ya. What a great episode. Uh, we had some technical difficulties and he had a tight schedule to go pick up his daughter. And that's okay. I mean, that's the whole reason we do this. So we can be active and present and, um, you know, uh, healthy fathers. That's, that's kind of the whole point. And I love what he's doing, man. If you have not seen his movie, uh, the father effect, it's on YouTube. It's free. It is absolutely amazing. Even if you're thinking to yourself, man, I've worked through all that stuff and I don't have any more, you know, father issues and I don't have this. I don't have that. Just watch it because it will just, it will drive home the importance of our role in our children's lives and, um, how important our mental health is and how it's our responsibility to do the work, take the action to work through all of that old crap we have, man. I mean, you know, we just layer it up and pile it up and, you know, it's just like shoving junk in the closet and you just forget about it, but it's still there and it's still affecting you. And then one day that closet gets opened up and everything just comes pouring down on you at the wrong time. So, I would encourage you to check it out. Check out his podcast, The Father Effect, and then check out his book, The Father Effect. Um, as always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to another episode and for subscribing. I'd like to ask that you please share with your friends, leave us reviews, subscribe, download us, you know, on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts. And if there's one that you, you're having a hard time getting or that there's one that you would like us to be on, please send me a message at ryan at circleofdadspodcast.com and I'll do everything in my power to get that done. Um, I also look forward to, or I, I, I encourage feedback, good or bad. I just want to keep growing and be able to provide the best, um, the best show I can for all of us so we can keep walking this journey together. So thank you again. You do not have to be perfect. But you do have to be present. Love runs downhill. We chase those kids till the day we die. See you.